Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Come on, smile for me. There you go. Good smile, Bill. Way to go, man. <laughs> Got a smile out of him when I call his name. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Uh, can you th let's think for just a minute as we get into message time. Think with me for just a second about the first couple. I'm talking about Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden. And, and here's, my, here's my proposition. You tell me if, if you agree with me. If any relationship ever had a chance of being perfect, it would be these guys. Anybody agree? I mean, think about it for just a minute. Uh, there's no bills or financial stresses to create problems. There, there's no TV or computer screens to distract them. There's no uh, in-laws to influence unduly one or the other. There are no children to distract them. There's no clothes to choose from. I mean, never once did Eve have to say, well, I'm not wearing that because I might go and somebody else will be wearing the same thing. I have to buy something new. Never once has that happened. Never once did Adam have to answer the question, do I look fat in this dress? Never once, <laughs> now you're awake. I figured something would wake you up, okay? Never once did they have to deal with any of those kinds of, of stresses and yet they still messed it up. They messed up their relationship with each other. They messed up their relationship with God. You might think that if there was ever a chance for authentic relationship to happen, it would have been in that setting, and yet somehow they blew it. But let's be honest, guys, no matter what the circumstances, sincere, authentic relationships are hard to come by. I heard one whispered, yes. Sincere, authentic relationships are hard to come by. Can I get an amen in the house? You know me, guys. I always like to start with a universal amen, and I think that's one we can all agree uh, to. For those of you that are new, we're in a series, as you might have guessed from the video, that we're calling Building for the Generations, and we're talking about those core values that, that we consider to be foundational for our lives, quite frankly, for our nation, for the families that make up our nation, and critical for the emerging generations to be aware of, not just have it taught to them, but actually see it modeled out. And so what we're talking about is those basic kinds of values that are so critical. We call them core values because we have lots of values. We value lots of things, but these are the values that are at the core of our being. If we, get, if we don't get these values right, then everything else is going to fall apart. If we do get these values right, then everything else will come together. And so we do a checkup once in a while. Nobody's suggesting we're perfect, but we're going to do a checkup once in a while and say, how are we doing in these values? And if my lifestyle doesn't line up with my life's values, what am I going to do? I'm gonna adjust my lifestyle because these values become the cornerstone of our lives. And so what we're walking through are those values that define us as a church and define each one of us as part of this church family. Again, not just for our own lives, but as foundational for our family. So let's rehearse them again, and then we're gonna lean into one of them today. First week we talked about live biblically, and we talked about the importance of having the owner's manual as the guide for life. Next, we talked about serve unselfishly and the critical part of, of getting beyond ourselves and not just turning inward but turning outward. Last week, Pastor Luke did a wonderful job of talking about loving unconditionally. We will love unconditionally. In coming weeks, we're going to talk about worshiping passionately. We're going to talk about growing intentionally. We're going to talk about reaching globally. But today, we're talking about relating uh, sincerely. We'll come back to that word sincerely for a minute, but I want to unpack this idea of relationship just a little bit and just kind of address the issue of <clears throat> why is it so hard? 
I mean, if, if sincere relationships are so important, why is it so hard to come by them and to maintain them? How many of you agree with me that the highest highs in life and the lowest lows in life are tied to relationships? Is it true? I mean, you don't have to think very long to think about those highs and think about those lows, and there are people involved. I learned a long time ago that every human being needs two things. We need to love and be loved, and we need to do something worthwhile with our one and only lives. Well, the first one, obviously, is about relationships, love and be loved. The second one is as much about relationships because you can't accomplish anything without other people around you being involved in that equation. Am I right? No man is an island. The problem is this. Because sincere, authentic relationships are so hard, relationships often get broken. And when those relationships get broken, it hurts. And because we're hurt, we often begin to get afraid to establish additional relationships. So what do we do? We put up a wall to protect ourselves to make sure that we don't get hurt again. What you need to understand is that those walls are not discriminating. They don't just shut out the potentially bad relationships that will hurt you. They shut out all relationships. And before you know it, you're isolated again. And we've already established the two things that every human being needs, love and be loved, do something worthwhile, requires relationships. God bless you. Thanks for coming to church today. Hope you have a good brunch. What are we going to do about this issue because it's such a big deal? Hear me, guys. Fear is Satan's number one tool for destroying relationships. Can I say that again? Satan loves to use fear to destroy relationships. We get hurt. We get afraid we're going to get hurt again. And so that fear blocks us from the relationships that we want. From the very moment that Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden and began to talk to Adam and Eve, that's what he started to use. He started casting doubts. He started saying things like, well, you know, what does God really want you to abstain from that fruit in the garden? I mean, why does he want you to abstain from that? Is it really because of this obedience thing? Or, is, or are you going to know what he knows and be able to do what he does if you eat that fruit? And so he just began to cast doubt into their hearts until they finally sinned. And the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God, fear entered the equation and the disconnect between God and one another began because fear at the end of the day makes us distant, it makes us defensive, and it makes us demanding. Say that again. Fear makes us distant, it makes us defensive, it makes us demanding. Say it with me. It's on the screens. Here we go. Fear makes me distant. It makes me defensive. It makes me demanding. I want to unpack those three things, and then I want to show you why it's worth the effort to build those relationships, and then I'll let you go and get into your, your week and all the things you've got planned for the day, okay? Three things. Fear makes me what? It makes me distant. It makes me defensive. It makes me demanding. Let me show you how that works. When I find myself becoming afraid of exposing my feelings, I become distant. You don't have to respond to that. I know it's true. I've experienced it. You've experienced The next time God visited Adam and Eve in the garden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, instead of meeting him like they always did in the cool of the evening, this time they hid from him. And when God asked them why, you, you see what Adam said in Genesis 3.10? Adam said, I was, what's the word? I was afraid because I was 
naked. In other words, I was, I was exposed. I was vulnerable. And the result was I, I hid. By the way, we'll see, see Eve's issues in, in this process too. But I, I, I find it interesting that it is the man who ran from the feelings. Do you, any of you, find it interesting from the beginning of human history? That's kind of how it works. I mean, can we just agree together lovingly that guys have a way of running from their feelings that it just doesn't come naturally for us guys we love to hide we withdraw when we start feeling uncomfortable emotions we become cool we become detached we we appear disinterested we we appear even uncaring or insensitive it's just it's just something in us and I know I'm stereotyping but it's still generally true there's something in us that tends to to struggle with that in the early years of of our marriage I, I did the same thing with Kim I, she would she'd get emotional about something and my first reaction was to try to fix it I wanted to fix it and she it wasn't easily fixed and it wasn't something she wanted me to fix she just needed a hug she needed me to engage her but and so when I would try to fix it it would just get wussa and, and the result was that she would get more emotional and the more emotional she got the more nervous I got and so the more distant I became a glaze would come over my eyes and before you know it I picked up the newspaper or I picked up the tv remote or I went to the shop to finish some project in other words I ran away in the early days of our marriage uh, that's exactly how I dealt with emotions and it cost us because at the end of the day when I uh, am afraid of feelings I become distant. The, the thing that amazed me the most, I finally realized over time, is that the more distant I became, the more emotional she became until she started pushing my buttons, which made me start getting emotional, which got a rise out of both of us. And before you know it, we've damaged the relationship on a whole different level. Why is she doing this? I'm just trying to watch the game. You know, it's just, she's doing it because I've run from her. I'm hiding from her and she doesn't want me to hide at the end of the day she just wanted me to engage her at that level and stop hiding from her I had a wife tell me one time in pastoral counseling she said we've only been married a year when we were dating we talked for hours about how we felt about life and the future and the day it's like the day we got married he shut it off he closed the faucet he stopped talking about this stuff now I, he only talks about food sex or where's the tv remote that's all he ever says to me guys can i beg you not to wait till your wife gets upset before you engage her at an emotional level but in fairness Guys are not the only ones who struggle with this. Come on, guys. It's okay to say amen at that one. It's, it's, it's okay. Just do it lightly, gently, not nicely, okay? I mean, there's some stuff that we all do. I mean, when it comes to hurt feelings, they scare us. And so what do we do? We play the what's wrong game. You ever played the what's wrong game? Of course you have. Is something bothering you? No, nothing's bothering me. Why do you say something's bothering me? I can tell something's wrong. No, there isn't. I'm just tired. You know what I'm just tired is? It's code for I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> that's, that's what that is. D did I hurt your feelings? No, you didn't hurt my feelings. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you if you did. I mean, if you don't know, figure it out. That's what we do. That's the game we play. And we're getting distancer and distancer in the process. Angry feelings. We play the are you mad game. Are, are, you, are you mad about something? I'm not mad. Yeah, I can tell you're, you're mad about something. I'm not mad, okay? I'm not mad. I'm getting mad because you're asking me if I'm mad. But all of that is games that we play that ultimately creates a distance. And why are we doing it? Because we're afraid of feeling vulnerable about how we're feeling. 
it started with Adam and Eve. And I know there's lots of justifications for playing those games. We, we don't want to rock the boat. We, we don't want to upset the apple cart. We, we don't know where an honest conversation will lead. And we're not sure if it'll get worse and worse if we do. But you need to understand that hiding your feelings creates a distance in the relationships you need. I've used marriage as an illustration, but it's true in friendships. It's true in sibling relationships. It's true in church relationships. When I become afraid of my feelings, I become distant. The second thing that often shows up when fear enters the equation, when I'm afraid of admitting my faults, I become defensive. Is that true? It is. I mean, we excuse ourselves and we accuse others. Well, it's not my fault. Well, I didn't do that. Or, or on the other side, it's all your fault. Or if you had done this, or if you had done that, or if you hadn't done this, you hadn't done that before you know it, we, we've played the excuse and accuse game, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did. Genesis chapter three, verse 12 and 13. Adam said, you gave me this, you gave this woman to me. Who, who's Adam blaming? He's blaming God. He's not taking responsibility for his own actions. He's blaming God. And she, he doesn't even call his wife by her name. He says, she, with her standing right there, she, he says, gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. He's excusing himself, and he's accusing God and accusing Eve. And then Eve turned around and did the very same thing. She replied, the snake tricked me. Somebody said that ever since then, men have been blaming women and women have been calling men snakes. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I hear. Bottom line is that we hate to admit our faults. Boy, it's quiet in this room today. We hate to admit our faults, our sins, our mistakes, our weaknesses. We deny them, we defend them, we excuse them, we accuse others, we rationalize why we did what we did if we own it at all. And why do we do that? It's simple, because we're afraid that people won't love us if we get sincere, real, authentic about our faults. We get so afraid of being rejected, we excuse and accuse others. And if that's what you're doing, I get it. It's, it's the human tendency. It's been going on since the beginning of human history. But you need to understand that excusers and accusers are losers in the relationship game. They are relationship destroyers. If you want sincere relationships, you got to face your faults. If you messed up, you own up. You deal with it. I'm always amazed at the, at the power of a sincere apology. When I become afraid of exposing my feelings, what happens? I get distant. When I'm afraid of admitting my faults, what happens? I become defensive. Number three, when I'm afraid of losing my freedom, I become demanding, aka also known as when I'm afraid of losing control. I become demanding. Insecurity demands that I'm in control. When I'm insecure about anything, I need to control the situation. I tend to, to, to be more demanding in order to seize control of a situation that I'm feeling insecure about. The opposite is also true. The more secure I feel, the less I need to control things. The more secure I feel, the less I need to demand that things are the way I want them to be. It's kind of like the swimmer Who's, who's drowning, and the lifeguard swims out to, to help that person, and it's not unusual for a panicked or drowning person to actually attack the lifeguard who's come out to save them. 
When, when I did my lifeguard training many, 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 many years ago, uh, here's what they taught us. I kid you not, here's what they taught us. Uh, when you swim up to a, to a person that's drowning, uh, pause right before you get there, pause, because they're going to attack you. And if you can't get them to calm down, slug them. You would save their life and they would sue you today if you did that. So if you're going to save somebody, don't do what I just said. But that's what they taught us to do. Why? Because a panicked person feeling insecure and out of control will try to seize control by whatever means. And so they'll grab and they'll flail and they'll do everything until they drown you both put that in the context of relationships. Anytime I believe I'm going to be dominated, I'm going to be controlled, I'm going to lose my freedom, the natural tendency is to ensure that doesn't happen, even if it means I have to become controlling and demanding myself. Understand, anytime those attitudes kick in, anytime it's my way or the highway or I demand my rights or, 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 or if, you, if, if, if you need an opinion, I'll give you one. If any of those kind of things start kicking in, you need to understand that insecurity has taken control. That, that false bravado is actually insecurity masquerading as confidence. And that's why God told Eve after they sinned in Genesis 3.16, your desire will be for your husband and he will be your master. You see, in that moment, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to dominate the relationship because of the fear that entered the equation became a master part of the way they related to one another and it launched the battle of the sexes that goes on to this day. I need you to understand that was never God's plan that was never God's intention. God's plan was partnership. Whether we're talking about a, a marital relationship or a friendship or siblings or, or church members or whatever relationship you're having, God's plan is, is partnership. God's plan is to understand that I have uh, strengths and weaknesses and you have strengths and weaknesses. And if this represents my strengths and this represents my weaknesses, strengths, weaknesses, strengths, weaknesses, and this represents your strengths and your weaknesses and your strengths and your weaknesses, when we come together instead of of competing with each other we complete each other we are stronger we're better we're able to accomplish more for the kingdom of God here guys all of us are different which was just amazing the uniqueness our DNA is different God did that on purpose so that we would complement one another not so we could compete with one another, but the root problem in struggling relationships is this power struggle between insecure people. Who's going to dominate the other? Who gets to be in charge? Have you figured out yet that churches don't split over doctrine? And we all hate it when we hear about a church that split and 100 people left or what. Churches don't split over doctrine or theology, they split over who's in charge, they split over control. And so it's critically important that we understand that insecurity ultimately creates a demanding environment that destroys relationship. When fear enters your relationships, whatever those relationships are, again, marital, friendship, siblings, family, church, whatever it is, when fear enters, insecurity starts to define that relationship and those fears will make you distant. 
They will make you defensive. They will make you demanding. And in every case, they will ultimately destroy your relationship. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Hear me, guys. It's worth it. As hard as it may be to deal with those things, be honest about those things, to recognize that Satan is injecting fear into your relationships so that he can create uh, that distance, so he can create that defensiveness, so that he can create that demanding kind of dynamic, so that he can destroy your relationship. When he does that, you need to recognize the source of that fear. It is not God who brings you together. It is Satan who's trying to tear you apart. And you need to say, nope, not today, Satan. I got a t-shirt that says, that that I wear once in a while. Satan, you are not destroying my marriage today. You are not destroying my friendships today. You are not destroying my church today. I will not be afraid to be real. I will not be afraid to be sincere. I'll not be afraid to be honest and authentic in my relationships, as scary as that may be. So that's the question. Let's shift gears. We've got a few more minutes. If it's so hard, why bother? Can I be honest with you and tell you that one of my greatest concerns in our modern culture is that we've become an age of disposable relationships? Gets hard, we bail. Whether we're talking about a marriage, we're talking about a church, we're talking about a job, we're talking, whatever relationships you're talking about, it gets hard, we bail. Any truth in that? That's why divorce rates are so high, and that's why uh, 74% of children under 18 will live in a step family environment before they become adults. I mean, those are the realities of our times. We've become an age of disposable relationships, and that's why one of our core values as a church, and I'm begging you to make it one of your own if it's not, one of your core values needs to be we will have a sincere honest relationship. It's why I tell our staff all the time, guys, when we're in, we're in meetings like this, it's important that we give the last 5% because the truth is, even when we're being honest with each other, we're only being 95% honest because <laughs> we're holding that little bit back just in case they don't like that little bit back. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And so I tell our staff all the time, guys, come on, give me the last 5%. Let's put it on the table. Let's pray that God will show us what we need to do. Let's get honest with each other. Let's have real, authentic relationships because that's where health and strength are. Let me give you four reasons from Scripture, and I'll help you to understand why this is so important. So shift gears with me, okay? It's hard. Satan wants to destroy relationships with God and with each other, but it's worth it. The first reason it's worth it is because God's power is released in relationships. God's power is released through relationships. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Let's read it together. It's on the screens. Here we go. One, two, three, go. I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about something and pray for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. This is true because if two or three people come together in my name, I am there with them. What's he saying? He's saying that a huge part of having Christ in the midst of whatever you're dealing with is for you to be in agreement with people and with him. That's God's model, <coughs> that everything happens in 
in agreement, in relationship. That word agreement, some of you heard me talk about this in time past, but that word agree is the Greek word symphoneo. Anybody know what English word we get from symphoneo? Symphony. And what's a symphony like? Anybody ever heard a symphony when they're tuning up? It's the weirdest, craziest sounds you've ever heard. Everybody's just doing whatever, and it's kind of weird. And then the orchestra director walks out, taps his baton, everybody gets silent, everybody turns to the same page of music, and then they start playing from that same page of music. The tubas are not playing the same notes as the violins, right? The clarinets are not playing the same notes as the trumpets, but they are playing in harmony with one another. They are playing in agreement with one another that this is the sheet of music we're playing from. This is the timing. This is the key. This We're playing in harmony with one another on this sheet of music. And this beautiful sound comes when they come into agreement, when they come into symphoneo, when they come into harmonious Accord. In fact, the people that study this stuff tells me that there's actually a sound that is created when they do come together in agreement that nobody in the orchestra is playing. They actually call it harmonics. There is a sound that is created that nobody's playing, which is why when you listen to an orchestra, it sounds bigger than the, than the number of people that are actually on the stage playing. Some of you are old enough to remember the mamas and the papas, four vocalists who discovered the secret of harmonics, and those four voices sounded like a choir singing in unison or in unity because they understood harmonics. There's a, there's a sound that is created. There's a voice that is created that none of them are playing or none of them are singing. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? God's power is that voice. And when we come into agreement, he's able to do more than any of us as individuals or even all of us together collectively could ever dare to dream or think or ask because his voice is added and his is the voice that we hear and the power of the Holy Spirit is released. But that only happens in relationship. It only happens in agreement. And so if you look across your life and the circumstances of your life and you start saying that, you know, I I really need God's power to show up here. I really need God's power to be released here. I really need the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous in this area of my life. Guess where it's going to happen? It's going to happen in relationship. Read the scriptures. Confess to one another that you may be healed, the scriptures say. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the day the church was born. The day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. That's not just a reference to them all being in the same room. They were. But 120 people came together for a 10-day prayer meeting, and, uh, and on the 10th day, something happened. They came together. That Greek word is homothumadon. And homothumadon, very similar to agreement, it's, it's unanimous yet different voices, 
It's harmonizing in pitch and tone. So it's kind of the same thing as agreement. When they come into that moment of homothumadon, they come into that moment of symphoneo, that's when the Holy Spirit is released. And in Acts chapter 2, what happens is the Holy Spirit came and rocked the town and the church was launched and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ after a simple sermon that Peter brought and the church exploded on the scene. Why? Because they came together in agreement and the result is God's power was released among them. That's that's why we've been, you've seen it, you've seen emails and text messages and social media things and announcements from stage. That's why we're, 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 we're begging, cajoling, coercing, doing everything we know to do to get you here either Wednesday or Thursday night for the vision gathering. Why do we do that? Because when we come together in agreement around what God has called us to do, not only do we accomplish more, but he accomplishes more because we've now come into agreement. We've come into homothumadon, and that's what I'm praying for this week. I will tell you now we had to close registrations on Thursday because the caterer had to have the numbers for the meals. But if you didn't get registered, come Wednesday night or Thursday night. Just come at 7 instead of 6, Okay. You'll be here in time for the vision gathering. Sorry, we can't feed you. I'll give you some off of my plate, I guess. But, uh, but come at seven and hear the vision. Why? Because God's power is released when God's people come into agreement together. The second thing that happens in sincere relationship is God's glory is revealed through sincere relationships all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, God created the sky and the earth. This creative God created diversity. You ever thought about how diverse the creation is? Why, why would God go to such lengths to create such amazing diversity that, that every fingerprint, every heartbeat, every retinal scan, every DNA is totally unique. You talk about a creative God that created diversity. I mean, everyone that's ever lived is totally unique from everyone else. I read just this past week, there are 360,000 varieties of beetles. Why? Why would God do that unless it's just his creative genius that wanted to create diversity? I'm I'm serious. I jotted down a couple of them. There are bark beetles, best beetles, blister beetles, borer beetles, branch beetles, carrion beetles, click beetles, darkling beetles, death watch beetles, demistid beetles, that's what it says, feather winged beetles, flat bark beetles, flat grain beetles, fungus beetles, ground beetles, hairy fungus beetles, we're just up to the H's, hister beetles, lizard beetles, rove beetles, not to be confused with the I want to hold your hand beetles, don't, I just want to know if you were listening, that's all. No doubt one of the greatest strengths of the bridge is the diversity that we experience here and specifically our generational diversity, people that have only been on this planet for a few days all the way to people that are in their 90s. God has blessed us with every generation represented here. The sad reality, you may say, well, of course, that's the way it is, but the sad reality is that there are churches dying all across the country because that's not true because the older generation didn't make room for their children or their grandchildren. They didn't focus on building for the generations and the result is that they're aging out and their church is dying with them. We got a call just this past week from 
two weeks ago, I guess, from a church in the Raleigh area that's exploding in population, but the church is dying. And you can't blame COVID for it. COVID may have accelerated the process, but they were in the journey already. It's happening all over the country. And that's why we're so focused on building for the generations because God's power is released in relationship and God's glory is revealed in relationship, which leads us to the third thing, and that is God's kingdom grows in sincere relationships. From the time Jesus launched his earthly ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men, what's he talking about? He's talking about you establish a vertical relationship with God and the result is he will help you to build horizontal relationships with men and women around you. The Pastor Jim paraphrase of that becomes then establish a relationship with me and I'll help you establish a relationship with others who will establish a relationship with me, who will establish a relationship with others, who will establish a relationship with me. Do I need to keep going or have you got the point? God's kingdom grows through relationships. I dare say if we did a a survey this morning, uh, statistically 85% of you came to Christ because somebody influential in your life was a follower of Jesus Christ. And they showed you what that looked like and you became a Christian too. Maybe it was your mama or your grandma or your daddy or a college roommate or your neighbor or whoever it was. We all, a vast majority at least of us, can trace it back to a relationship, God's kingdom grows through relationships. But the bottom line, and I'll bring this to a close, is that God's people are strongest in relationship. I love Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It's a little long, but it paints a picture. Follow it with me, okay? Two people are better than one because they get more done by working together. Well, that's a good enough reason right there. If one falls down, the other can help him up. That's another good reason. But it's bad for the person who is alone and falls because there's no one there to help. If two lie down together, they'll be warm, but a person alone will not be warm. That's an HNL of relationships, okay? We'll just reserve that for certain people, like married people, stuff like that. An enemy, <laughs> an enemy might defeat one person, but two people together can defend themselves. Now, here's the key passage. I want you to get it, a rope that is woven of three strings is hard to break. And I will agree with that if the third string is Jesus Christ himself. When I come into relationship with you and you with me and we with him, we are strong no matter what Satan throws at us been doing this long enough, I've been in enough scenarios through the years that sometimes stuff happens in life and you go, man, I'm glad I'm not alone right now. Or those circumstances come up and say, man, why did I isolate myself? I need people right now. The key to strong relationships, the kind that releases God's power, the kind that reveals God's glory, the kind that grows God's kingdom, and the, the kind that provides healthy, strong relationships with you is relationships that are sincere. They're real. I'm going to bring this home, but I need you to hear me. The word sincere in the English Bible is often translated from the Greek word anohupokritos. 
You might, if you think about it, if you take the ano prefix off, you think about the, the rest of that word, it might sound familiar to you, hupokritos. Anybody want to guess what English word we get from hupokritos? Hypocrite. How do you define a hypocrite? Somebody who says one thing and does another? That's kind of the, the traditional definition for hypocrite, right? So uh, if that's the definition, how many hypocrites are there with us today? God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless. Because we all do that, guys. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then we go away and we don't. Of course we do that. The real definition of hypocrite goes deeper than that. The real definition of, of a hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something they're not, who wears a mask, who allows fear to define the relationship, who then holds people at arm's length, who holds people in a demanding kind of scenario, people who pretend to be something they're not in order to get something they don't deserve, somebody who hides their true feelings, somebody who is an accuser or an excuser or somebody who pretends to be in control when in fact they're afraid of being controlled. Controlled. In any case, they're terrified of being real, of being sincere. But what does the Bible say? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we live in the light, as God is in the light, we can share fellowship with each other. That word fellowship has been used for a lot of things from, from let's have coffee together to a fellowship dinner, and we use it for a lot of things in the church world. But the Greek word there is two fellows in the same shipos. No, that's not the Greek word. It's koinia. And koinia literally means as committed to one another as we are to Christ himself. When you get a relationship like that, fear has no room in your life because God's power is released in that kind of relationship. God's glory is revealed in that kind of relationship and you're stronger in that kind of relationship. But it takes that sincerity. It takes that honesty. It takes that willingness to say, I'll be real with you if you be real with me. Watch God work in amazing kinds of ways. John said, God is in the light. The light means that I'm willing to expose things. I'm not going to hide it in the darkness. I'm going to expose it. You can trust him because he always tells the truth. We can trust each other when we do too. I got to close. Why are we talking so much about core values during this Building for the Generation series? We're doing it because we need those relationships in our lives, but we're also doing it because we have an emerging generation. Can I be real honest with you without sounding critical? We've got an emerging generation that's grown up in the era of disposable relationships. They have a hard time sometimes even having a conversation with each other. I've seen them text each other sitting next to each other because it's just so hard to have a conversation because they haven't seen honest conversation. Why do we need these core values? Because we need these core values. But perhaps even more, the emerging generation needs to see the power of sincere relationship lived out. So I pray 
before you leave here today, you'll make a commitment with me. Sincere relationship, first and foremost with God. He knows it's easy to be honest with him because there ain't no surprises for him. But out of that relationship with him, you begin to build sincere and honest relationships with others. Father, you see us, you know us, you know where we are in this journey of being a people of sincere relationships, not hypocrites, but real deal, authentic. Get it right sometimes, get it wrong sometimes, own up when we mess up, but genuinely love each other. I pray in the quietness of this moment that each of us would do a quick assessment, first and foremost, of our relationship with you, if it's just a relationship of going through the motions and doing the rituals and stuff, then, then at least be honest about that. And then secondly, a relationship with one another. If we're hiding, if we're distant, if we're demanding, then help us to be honest with ourselves about that. Give us a fresh start today. Father, you know who's reflecting on those things, I pray that you'd hear our prayer. Give us healthy, honest, sincere relationships first with you. Forgive us for not getting this right. Give us a fresh start today. And then help us to build honest, sincere, real relationships with each other for our sake, for the sake of the generations that are coming. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.